0: Yet what many parents do is continue to parent them like they were nine or eight when they would just listen to you. And I just get I just ask them to think you're creating amazing young adults here. So they have to be allowed to be adults. And that's about making decisions, making mistakes, and occasionally ending up in the shit. And and when they do, what you want to be is the person they come to and go, Mum or dad, I'm in the shit and what am I going to do to get out of it?
1: Hello and welcome to Behind the Mother Mask. I'm your host Annie Breen, registered nutritional therapist, master NLP practitioner and transformational coach for exhausted mums who don't feel enough. My mission with this podcast is to lead with vulnerability by starting to lift the psychological mask you wear each day that protects you and others from the stuff that's hard to explain and talk about. It's about sharing from the middle, not just the open wounds or the healed scabs, but the messy middle. Let's go for honesty over perfection because I believe when you transform yourself, you automatically transform your relationships and parenting by passing down wisdom, not wounds. So if you're up for that, you definitely don't need to do it alone. I'm here to lead you on what could be the greatest adventure of your life, behind the mother mask, back home to yourself. So welcome back to Behind the Mother Mask. And I can't believe I'm on episode 10. I've actually made it through the summer holidays. And this episode is a little bit because it's the first episode I have ever recorded live and in person and I'm sat in front of my guest (laughs) which feels a bit strange
0: actually. (laughs) Feels normal to me if that helps.
1: Yeah we're in the therapy chair (laughs) so I've got my tissues in case this is a reverse role. (laughs) This week I'll just give a bit of context I'm actually coaching on the master practitioner course for NLP neuro-linguistic programming and my guest is The amazing Brian Costello. Brian is the lead one of the lead coaches on the Master NLP prac with Steve Burns and it really is probably one of the most transformational life-changing courses I've ever done so I feel really fortunate to be able to sit there and do it through a different lens. Um, Brian is also the founder of Headstrong Minds, home of one of Scotland's leading and most inspiring teams of mental health and change professionals. And they really are awesome. And this is how they describe themselves on their website, which, by the way, I've taken loads of tips from. It's a brilliant website. I need to change mine. We are experts in changing the way people think. It is a simple fact that if you can change the way you think, then you will change the way you feel. And if you change the way you feel, you will act and behave differently in everything you do. Coaching and helping people, release themselves from their stories. So that is what they do. Brian, welcome.
0: Hello. My website sounds great. I, I wrote that, but, um, but I, I can't remember writing that, but it sounds brilliant. It's
1: absolutely yeah. brilliant. <laughs> it really is. And you're like superheroes on there because you put your superpowers and your name and yes. what you like to do. And, um, yeah. and our
0: videos where we are a bit silly uh, and we we put our little... We, I, I said to all the team, I remember when we were doing our videos, it was like, I want you to keep the camera rolling and I want all of your mistakes because uh, I'm going to put them in the video and they're all like, what do you mean? Uh, but I think it works lovely. It makes us human. Uh, it makes so. you
1: human. And I bet that teenagers as well makes them feel comfortable and understood.
0: Yes. Yeah. Look, we're not infallible. Look, we're not perfect. Here's, here's all the takes that didn't work. And And that's
1: exactly the nature of this podcast. Honesty over perfection. Yeah. Um, So I want to start with this line that I read on your amazing website. Go for it. The most powerless you will ever feel is not being able to help your own child.
0: (laughs) Tell you more. What is that? So, yeah. Speaking as a a dad myself and, and knowing, I was very fortunate in that I started learning all this mind stuff when my kids were pretty young. In fact, probably uh, not that much older than Bonnie is now. So my kids were four and two when I first started learning all this. So understanding the mind has been a part of my parenting and uh, and as we grew up, as well as my wife, who also uh, studied it a bit. But even with all that knowledge, there has still been numerous moments through our parenting career where we have found herself powerless, and uh, and it and it's horrible, and it's and it's scary because the job description of being mum or in my case being dad comes with this assumption that you can fix everything, and and when the kids are young, uh, that tends to be kind of true. You know, when your kid falls off their bike, or when they bump their head, or they fall down the stairs, or when they can't sleep at night, or when they've got a cold, or whatever it is we tend to have strategies and ways of being able to do that. And round about, there's no science behind this, it's just my observation, and what's that, almost 20 years of doing this, is that somewhere around about nine or 10, it starts to shift. And what happens is, is the outside world stops affecting them as much as it used to. So what I mean by that is they don't cut their knees as much, they don't fall off their bikes. There's some mums listening to this going, you've not met my 14-year-old or something like that. And what happens is the internal world starts to affect them a lot more. And as parents, therefore, we can find ourselves that pseudo in a plaster doesn't fix the fact that their whole friend group just exploded and that they are now ostracized or out of the friend group or whatever it might be. And it's that point where we can feel powerless because we've never been taught. So we don't have the information to know what to do to help them. And that is terrifying. And actually what it does, I think we're going to, we might speak about this later. We might speak about it now, I don't know. Um, But it paralyzes parents, Mm. like absolutely puts them into a place of paralysis where we, we literally do not know what to do. So therefore that can be very, very scary.
1: Yeah. And I can relate to that massively. And it's almost like this feeling that I can't be happy unless Bonnie is happy. Yeah, And you do feel paralyzed because you want to fix, you want to help, you want to resolve their pain, whatever that looks like. Yep. And it's interesting. You say parenting career, Because it is a skill to learn. It's a craft Mm. to master, isn't it? It's not something that we're born with that, okay, you become a parent overnight, so you should know everything. And I think you also say following on from that sentence that we take our kids to the dentist. We take them to the doctors. We take them to the chiropractor. depends on what sort of family you are. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't think about taking them anywhere to help them understand their own mind
0: absolutely and it's because we know so I I have a I have a theory on that I don't know if you'll agree with it Annie my theory is is that when we are growing up so us like as the parents the the, mums the dads that are listening to this when we're growing up we are taught a strategy to deal with our physical health So basically what we get taught is, in my book anyway, it's a three-step strategy. Number one, ignore it. It'll probably go away. If it doesn't go away, then you medicate it. And if it doesn't work with medication, then you're obviously broken or something has happened to you. So what happens is you must go to whoever the professional is that fixes it. And normally, because we think medical, because it's something broken with me medically, I'll go to a doctor or whatever it is. But we're never taught that with our mental health. We're never taught a mental health strategy. What we're taught is stop being sad. As I always say, anytime I tell this story, you know, we teach our kids to comfort eat. Mm. Uh, you know, so you're sad, have a biscuit. You're sad, have a drink. You're sad, have the iPad, I suppose, is probably a more modern one, although they weren't there. For, for context, by the way, my children are now 23 and 21. So uh, we didn't have iPads, you know, and, uh, when they were young, that was, that was a luxury. So therefore, what happens is, is, is we grow up as parents without knowing that strategy. We take them to the doctor and we go, they're sad or they're anxious because we think it's a medical thing when it's not. It's, it's like dentistry. And it's, I suppose it's probably like comparing dentistry and general practice medical. It's like they're in a similar field but you wouldn't go to your doctor and say, I've got a toothache, can you have a look? Mm -hmm. Um, It's a different type of understanding, a different type of skill set. So I think that's, that, that's something, if I could teach mums, I know this is a mums podcast, so predominantly mums, but could be a dad in a car somewhere yeah. going, you're listening to this. Uh, and,
1: forced to listen Exactly, to
0: <laughs> yeah. Mums like, this is going on, I love Annie. Uh, she's, she's going on in the background. Um, but if I could teach anything to them, it's to stop being scared of that. Treat it like the doctor and the dentist. You don't know how to fix the toothache, so you take them to the professional, and it's the same thing.
1: Do you also find, because this has been my parenting kind of journey, is that I wasn't that good at regulating my own emotions because Mm. we're brought up in this brush under the carpet culture where vulnerability is like a weakness, or we just don't know how to articulate these complex emotions and put words to it. So when our child is experiencing something that we interpret as, complex we go inwards like I do not know how to deal with yeah. this I think it's quite funny but I think of the Wim Hof quote he said we can send a man to the moon but we can't fucking manage our own emotions <laughs> and it's kind of Absolutely. funny but this is the journey right yeah so because obviously you owe his passion for this mm-hmm. where did it start where did this passion for helping people but specifically teenagers understand? their yep. mind and harness their potential come from.
0: When, when I first started doing all this mind stuff, uh, and the first course I ever did, I uh, back in 2003, was an NLP practitioner course, which I, I literally tripped into. I say literally, that now makes people think I actually tripped into the room. So let me clarify that. What I mean by tripping into it was, I had no idea what it was. I didn't know what I was going for. My boss booked her whole team onto this training for a very different purpose. It was actually to make us better at our jobs, which was a, at that point, technical training for a financial services company. And I came out of it going, oh my God, what is that? And my first thought was, well, in fact, two first thoughts. Number one was, I want to do what he does. I want to do that thing. Whatever that is that he just did, That that's my future. And the other thing was, why didn't I ever get trained this in school? Yes. I was 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I worded it, I think you've heard me say this before, Annie, is the way that I worded it is it was the first time that somebody ever told me I didn't have to stay that way. I just thought that was who I was. You just get this feeling that you're, this is, your identity is like static. You know, I was still, I was a 30-year-old teenager. Um, who had two children, can I point out as well. So as a 30-year-old t- teenager with two kids, still living this life of, you know, whatever, and yeah, that, what from the outside would look like an okay job, and I was pretty good at it. And I was earning what at that point was a, an okay salary, necessarily. What I didn't have, or what I did have, sorry, in my head was all of these still same hang-ups that I had in school. That I was too skinny, that I wasn't clever, that I wasn't good uh, enough—all of this type of stuff. And I walk into this course, and somebody goes, "Oh no, you can change that. Just do that." And then you go, "Just do that." And you go, "Yeah, just do that." And you go, "Do that." And you go, "Oh my god, that feels different." And you're like, "Yeah, look." And it was like, "Holy crap!" It was like, "Why is nobody teaching this in school? Why is nobody teaching that to teenagers?" And that was the the beginning. Albeit that I will add, because I think it's important, especially with the nature of this podcast. one of the biggest drivers to me really getting into this was my wife, uh, because uh, after Amy, our youngest uh, child, our second kid was born, um, she had a a fairly long love affair with postnatal depression, you know, that went on and off and caused a whole heap of things. And then anxiety appeared, actually not long after I did that first course, when anxiety started to appear. So at the time of me doing that course, she was an antidepressant. She was keeping it all quiet. She actually went to see my trainer because I was nowhere near skilled enough to deal with it at that point. I am now, but at that point, and even then she would have been too close. So she went to my original trainer and within four sessions moved further than she had in 18 months of counselling and two years of antidepressants. And it was like, this stuff is amazing. What's it doing? So I set off with it. I'm going to help people with depression. But that's always in the background was helping young people. And that then has now manifested now, what, 15 years Headstrong's been around. And um, and we now are, are probably, I think, a, a specialist in working with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and the nature of that, therefore, is also working with the families, which is, as you kind of yeah. know from your training, is a big thing. You know, mm-hmm. the, the parenting side of things is as much the mums and dads uh, as it is the kids or the mums and mums or whoever it is, however your family's made up, you know. Yeah.
1: And you say, you know, why that question, why is this not taught in school? Well, obviously what you're doing with Headstrong is trying to change that because yeah. you are going into the schools. Aren't
0: Absolutely. You? We've got a huge, huge schools uh, program now that's growing and, and it's crazy. It's like growing very especially after COVID. It's just like boom, boom, boom. It just, it's, it's moving so fast, in fact, we keep on having to have phone calls about how do we keep up. Uh, but that's a nice problem to have, can I just say, but yeah, it's important to get it to the teenagers and or the young people as young as possible prevention is better than cure
1: a hundred percent and I can totally relate to your wife I remember with my challenges as well it was a postnatal love affair because it taught me so much yeah it was bittersweet yep. but I just remember standing in front of the fireplace one day with this kind of I didn't understand what a limiting belief was mm. but I felt the fear that I wasn't good enough that I couldn't yeah. cope that I wasn't up to the job And I feel it like now and I just knew it wasn't going to be a short term baby blue thing. I knew it was going to be this kind of long, dark night of the soul that's never a night, um, (sighs) which turned out to be the greatest self-discovery journey of my life. But Mm. you said also that you didn't feel good enough and you took all these kind of childhood, teenage beliefs into adulthood. And I'm going to. I'm going to come back to that in a bit, but what I just want to ask you is coming back to the beginning. So you're very much about helping people. It's not about helping them manage or cope or teenage manage or cope. It's eradicating. (laughs) And you said about going Dini NLP, and I'm smiling because I can relate to this. (laughs) Oh, you just did that. It's kind of like a a robot thing, but a bit more like. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It really is quite incredible, and people do live accepting almost or believing that they are broken and they yep. can't be fixed which is so untrue so when a parent calls you initially to get help for their teenager and maybe themselves what are you hearing are the kind of challenges or the issues that their children are struggling with and then
0: yeah yeah, so I think (laughs) I think uh, the the biggest mental health challenge in teenagers these days is anxiety Mm -hmm. so the the common thing that we'll hear when somebody phones up is my child is anxious now some parents don't recognize that that actually they're dealing with anxiety so sometimes you might get uh, my my kid keeps having temper tantrums or uh, they're really angry or they've started punching things and stuff so for me that's an anxiety response is the fight or fight or flight we get a lot of parents who have reached a point where their knowledge as we spoke about earlier has run out and they're now they have we hear most often i have nowhere else to turn yeah. and in some ways although that's lovely that we are there as somewhere to turn to it's also a shame that we're also the last thing yes uh, and i think people that do that skill set you know that 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 we do and is that You want to be a little bit higher up on that. And that's why the awareness thing. That's why I love going into schools. I'll tell the kids, this is what we do. It does not need to be like this. Why are you waiting for so much pain to have passed before you finally say, right, I'm just going to go here? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not the nicest thing in the world. And I'm sure it would be amazing if we could have it another way but i say to parents all the time if you're looking for good therapy you're more than likely going to have to go private and what Mm -hmm. i mean by that is not bupa or um, something else something like that i just mean you're going to have to pay for it Mm -hmm. if you're wanting good therapy you're more than likely going to have to pay for it because the nhs is slammed cams uh, child and adolescent mental health services is slammed so even getting in there for a what i call a common garden anxiety so like my daughter is struggling with friendships or uh, my son um, hasn't left his room in three months and doesn't socialize anymore. You're not going to get any help really through CAMS for that because they're dealing with the even more severe cases. But the issue is with CAMS, and this is again just my my subjective uh, viewpoint from the outside, is that uh, you do CBT training. So that's CAMS is pretty much based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, with little bits of counselling and some psychotherapy. So you you train in CBT as a a nurse or whatever it is that you've been before, you now become a CAMS counsellor or however you get into it, and you are run by people who aren't therapists, people who are not helpers. So you're challenged because you're not hitting your mark in terms of how many children can you see. Uh, You only get to see them normally, not exclusively, but normally for six weeks. So if I'm watching that and I'm a really good therapist and I, and I really want to help, and then somebody from a CBT course says, by the way, I'm making £60 an hour uh, privately. I'm doing it out here. I've got a wee room in the back of a hairdresser's and I do £60 an hour and I see six clients and I get an hour and a half with them and I get this time. And I've seen some clients for ages and i am seeing all these transformations. So all the good ones, the cream mm. keeps on getting skimmed off. Yeah. Uh, and, and therefore, I'm not saying that CAMS has that CAMS is full of some amazing people and some amazing helpers, but yeah. that's not sustainable. So I think I, I kind of got, went off on a wee tangent there, no, but an yeah. answer, it's, an yeah, answer yeah. to the question about what we're hearing is last resort anxiety. I don't know what to do, and I don't know where to turn to. And and one of our joys, as you know, Annie, because I think we've spoken about this before, is headstrong. Um, apart from a, a small time for about nine months. Uh, of the fifteen years that I've been in business, I've never advertised. So every client that comes in here tends to know a little bit or have heard from a friend that we can do what we do, and and I take that as a as a point of pride that you know mm. we've we've managed to build it not on big fancy glitzy advertising campaigns, but that word of mouth because yeah. that means it must be working yeah. because people are feeling it and want to tell their friends about it.
1: A hundred percent. And what do you think? underlies some of these challenges so the anxiety for example yep. I know this can be really broad does it start in the teenage years what are some of the underlying
0: <sighs> yes yes I know so it's it's that that is a very much uh uh how long's a piece of string question yeah. um I think I think what we have is um we can't get away from the fact that we have to talk about social media and and phones and technology and that uh, nowadays and i was actually in a school on friday i was with some uh sixth years so i suppose equivalent age to sixth form if, if you're listening to this down in england and um, i even said to them i was like i've been working in this for 15 years i was like and i have seen a change in mental health as Young people started to get access to technology. Anxiety is now much bigger. Uh, their brains can uh, are, are trained to not have long as, as long attention spans. And I think one of the biggest things, and we uh, I think we talked about this in the course yesterday uh, uh, as well, um, was is about judgment and about this idea of chasing perfection all the time because that's all they see don't know if you've ever met Punam, but uh, Dr. Poonam Christian, who some people on here may also follow on Insta as a, as a friend of mine. And, and I was out for lunch with her last week and what she was talking about was nobody shows the in-between bits. Nobody shows the in-betweens. Uh, and uh, my example of that that I use is that everybody's got the best dad. Uh, or for the context of this, because it's the same, everybody's got the best mum. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is that when they post on Insta, So I I did a a video about this for Mother's Day. So actually, some of you might be able to to find that if you look back on our social media. There's a video I did for for Mother's Day about this, which is about, here's my best mum. It's her birthday today. I don't know what I'd do without her. Uh, She is just such a rock in my life. And then I start to go, well, now what you need to do is read between the lines. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know sometimes we have our differences. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, key phrase. That's a key phrase. I know sometimes we have our differences. You know, we don't always see eye to eye. Key phrase. What I'm trying to see, get people to do is to see behind the scenes. That means they don't go on at all. Come on, that's not the best mum in the world. Uh, you know uh, Sometimes we have our differences. Uh, and uh, We don't always see eye to eye. It means we argue like cat and dog. Uh, and, and we're always at it. And actually, uh, for the most part, I find it a pain in the arse. Um, and I'm not using that. I know we all use these, these terms colloquially and, and, and kind of just as we do, but I'm trying to get people to point to it as it's not as perfect as it seems. Mm-hmm. But when that's happening with things like body image, um, skin tone, how I live my best life, mm-hmm. all of these things. There's a lovely phrase. I think I said this to you the other day. Uh, it was somebody, I was doing a, a session and talked about living your favorite life rather than living your best life. And I thought, that's such a clever little tweak because yeah. my favourite life is mine. Best life is, for me, a competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's something in that. So we're meeting many, many young people with these anxieties around not being good enough, not measuring up in all of this. And very briefly, because there was two points to your question, was, is this all happening in teenage years? Yes and no, um, because... And I don't know, I, I'm sure if I was a parent now, if I had a four-year-old and they were kicking off in the same way as I used to sit my daughters down and make them watch Teletubbies because they just would go quiet. In uh, the same way, I can't imagine that if I went to a restaurant that I wouldn't give them my an iPad and say, here's whatever. And it's we're building this reliance on uh, on the technology, we're, we're taking away the... We're training them, basically, to rely on technology as an emotional soother.
1: Yeah. Um, I was um, I was listening to Dr. Gabor Maté this morning, and he was saying it's the hardest time since the Second World War to be a mother. Ooh. And, you know, there's just there's so much pressure, societal expectations, yep. and I think that sometimes that we're focused on surviving and kids are, like, fitting into that model of yep. kind of stress and getting by over kind of their personal development being a priority and this is something I've learned like I'm currently working with a parenting coach because I want to change this yeah and it's really interesting looking at these kind of power under and power over models of parenting that if we were brought up by maybe mothers or parents that weren't emotionally attuned or they didn't feel worthy themselves yep you know, that there is this kind of avoidant. We don't know how to like face some of these big blowouts and these big emotions, so we kind of avoid. That was definitely my pattern. And that can flip to anger and kind of power over and like managing behavior and that kind of thing. So for me, it's about looking at that kind of power with, and this is a new paradigm. This can really change how your values and your priorities. And like, it's stepping away from the societal norms and narratives and the shoulds and what's expected of you yep. and going with actually what does motherhood mean to me what does this life mean what what do i want to get out of this what's my favorite life yeah what's you know and i was i just want to share a quick story but Go i was driving back from the reservoir the other day with bonnie bonnie was in the back i learned so much from this wise little <laughs> strong-headed guru and she was just singing a song. And it went like this, like, when I was a baby, mummy didn't love me. <laughs> so it's like, okay. Um, in the past, whenever she said, oh, mummy, you don't care about me, you don't yep. love me, it would trigger the fuck out of me. <laughs> so I just took a breath. I was like, that's interesting. Yep. Um, do you believe that? And she kind of choked, <laughs> And I was like, do you know what, Bonnie, because she's the right age yep. for this. When I, was, when I had you, I didn't feel very well for quite a while. Yep. And I was worried that I wasn't good enough for you and I wasn't going to be the mummy you deserved. And she goes, oh, quit your yakka mum. You're the best mum for me.
0: (laughs) But it's
1: it's this kind of feeling of repair that it's never too late, that if you did struggle or you parented in a way that maybe didn't form or foster that bond or attachment and maybe we did use devices or we did use other kind of techniques so we could get our jobs done and all the other things that are on us that we can always go back and we can always change that's
0: it i think it's such an important point because this is not about me saying don't use your ipads to parents to parent your Mm -hmm. children you know you've got these tools you've got these things that you can use uh, in the same way as yeah i would have used a uh, probably, in fact, I'm trying to think when the kids were young. Uh, I've probably am. They're probably old enough for a videotape, and uh, that's probably how old they are. And a television—that's what we did when we were parenting. You know. Anyway, I'm only 49. For anybody listening, <laughs> to this uh, we just did our kids a wee bit younger than many people do. Um, but anyway, so I think uh, it's not about knocking the tools, but it's about building that relationship. And and you've yes. hit on something so important. Is that I think that that parenting now, you know, we, we have this thing. I think it can go too far when you get that whole thing of, oh, oh, this is my daughter. She's my best friend. And I get why people say that, but it still has to have that parenting angle in it where you're still a parent because you're still a teacher. You don't have to be seen in that or not seen that t- That sounds terrible, but um, it, to have that position where they'll come to you as a teacher, as somebody that's not on the same level as them, but that doesn't mean that you have to be closed or, strict or um, controlling or anything. And I still meet many parents. I mean, I would imagine that anybody listening to this because of the type of people that will be attracted to what Annie does, uh, probably are going to think that that type of parenting is maybe fading out, but it's not. Mm -hmm. I've got a young lady at the moment who actually texted me genuinely this morning. She is um, uh, 19 years old. um, And because her mum and dad... She now lives herself uh, and uh, she's moved out of the house. She's done brilliantly and she's got this good relationship with mum and dad. But because mum and dad don't agree with a boyfriend that she's had, mm-hmm. they're talking about installing cameras in her house uh, and getting her a ring doorbell so they can see if this boy is coming to the house. Mm-hmm. And and I'm saying to her, I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, that that is not the way to build a relationship mm-hmm. with your child. And you mentioned pain earlier on. And sometimes, I suppose that's the flip side is we have to allow them to make mistakes. But I think that'll take me off my point here. So if we want to talk about that, we suppose we to speak about that in a minute. But the point I'm seeing here is, is relationships are the way to be able to build it. As an example, and she'll hate probably the fact, I don't think she'll ever listen to this podcast. She's too young. But if she ever does, she'll hate the fact that this was out there. But, but we were on holiday recently and my youngest daughter had a relationship wobble. Mm-hmm. Um and she phoned me and my wife mm-hmm. and she's 21 years old and it was us she came to to yeah. ask what should I do and how do I do it and, and I said to my wife after that phone conversation by the way just in case you're wondering in the drama the relationship's better than ever <laughs> it all got sorted out it's all good now but the fact that she came to us I was like, and we were first she didn't go to her girlfriend she didn't go anywhere else she thought where am I going to get the best advice I'll go to mum and dad for me that is I've done my job properly.
1: I love that. And I'd love to hear, because this podcast is all about leading with vulnerability and like ending that suffering silence that we do help our kids feel like they belong and they can come to us no matter what. For me, that's the dream. Um, And I think without vulnerability, we don't grow. Like if our kids shut off from a vulnerability point of view, they shut off emotionally, don't they? So how do we, Because I bet you hear all the time, parents um, phoning you saying, "I just can't get through to them. Like they're shut up in their room. Like whatever I do is never enough. Like I can't." What? How do you start to foster that kind of bond and that relationship again with child? What can parents do?
0: Yeah. So I think it is about stepping back. It starts with you. As in, so if you're a mum listening to this, or a dad, suppose, but if you're a mum listening to this, you're the adult. So you need to go first and you need to read the situation. So therefore, when we were teenagers, for instance, there was things we didn't tell our mums. Yeah, I still have this thing now about this. I meet parents all the time that are looking for full disclosure, and you're like, she doesn't tell me anything. Well, it's probably plenty of stuff you didn't tell your mum when you were 15, you know, because it's not part of their life anymore. And therefore, there's this again, this thing of of building a relationship by understanding that that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think parents, if I go back to what we said earlier about that nine, 10 year olds change, Mm -hmm. up until that point, most of us as parents are very active, hands on, and then it begins to change. So that by the time they're teenagers, we might be shut out of certain parts, or not shut out of certain parts of their lives, but we don't have access to certain parts of their lives. They have their own friendship groups. Maybe they are in relationships that you never see, all of these different things. Yet what many parents do is continue to parent them like they were nine or eight when they would just listen to you. And I just get, I just ask them to think you're creating amazing young adults here so they have to be allowed to be adults and that's about making decisions making mistakes and occasionally ending up in the shit and and when they do what you want to be is the person they come to and go mum or dad i'm in the shit Uh, and and how and what am i going to do to get out of it and I think many parents, because they go down this country, you're, you're hanging around with the wrong people, or this is wrong, or that's wrong. And yes, we have to be part of that. We that That is a role of ours. We have to speak from experience. But if you don't have a relationship, then why would I listen to you? Yeah. You know, I do. I think I've think I said this one to you before as well. I have a thing about, you know... Uh, uh, I do this when I do school presentations to parents when I'm talking about exams, for instance, for like upper school and and when they're going into their exam years. And I say, you know, so your kid comes home and um, your thing is, is that you can see their ability. So your intentions are whole. You can see their ability. You know how clever they are. You want them to live a good life. Classic parenting thing. I don't want them to make the same mistakes that I made uh, as well. So... All of these things, the intention is whole. How that comes across to the teenager is when I tell you, when you say, Have you done your homework? and I say no, because maybe I'm scared by my homework, maybe I'm overwhelmed by it, is rather than helping me to uncover that and uncover by the way that's just fear and this might not be your subject and maybe you need to go for some tutoring or anything like that and have this collaborative response what I say is what do you mean you're not studying for goodness sake you're going to fail all your exams and and what happens is on a very fundamental psychological level we're all motivated by pleasure and pain opening to my parent becomes painful so I think I can't say to mum that I'm experiencing this because the last time I said something like this, she went mental. Now, very different if, because in the moments, if you go a little bit crazy and a bit like you've done with Bonnie, if you then come in later on and go, because this is how to repair that relationship almost immediately, is to come turn around and say, I was sorry. I'm sorry. I reacted earlier on. You're the adult. You go first. I'm sorry about earlier on. I shouted at you. I shouldn't. Sorry, I was just upset at the fact you've not done your homework. Can you tell me more about it? But parents don't do that. You get into this pride and this kind of thing of, no, well, they're, they're the child. I just told them. I just told them how it has to be. And then the kid stops coming and, and it builds up over time. It's like, it's, um, it's like that frog in the pot metaphor. You know, you put yeah. the frog in the pot, you turn the heat on and because it heats up so slowly, they don't notice. You can't see the fact that that's been going on since 11. Mm-hmm. So by the time they get to 15 unconsciously they don't even know why they're doing it they just think i'm not going to open to
1: them because they're painful it's so interesting because is that not saying more about the parent and their fears to why their children won't do their homework is it something that has happened so, to them and i think it's brenny brown that said when she did all this research she said that children didn't worry about not having friends. They worried what their parents would think if they didn't have friends. Yep. So it's this parental expectation. So you get the privilege to sit with the teenager and the parent separate. Yes. right You get to put, work with both. Um. What do you see? What are the common kind of patterns? And this circles back to what we were saying at the beginning, you coming into adult or parenthood feeling not good enough, carrying these yep. beliefs and stories from a child, me carrying this fear that I couldn't cope. That didn't happen. I say that Problems aren't caused by parenthood; they're revealed by it.
0: Mm, yeah, oh, I love that phrase.
1: So, what are you seeing as the common patterns? Uh,
0: patterns, I think, is the way to go yeah. because you, you you see everything, and 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 if you happen to see any of the video uh, that, that from this, uh, we're actually in the in my therapy room in Glasgow just now, where all this happens. Um, I think to be very positive. I, I see many, many parents who want to help yeah. and want to make it better. And it's often driven by, I know what it felt like. Yes. And therefore I don't want my kids to have to go through that. So we very rarely see the, um, the kind of somebody coming in and flinging a child into the, the chair that you're sitting in just now and going, fix them. I don't know what to do. That's not what tends to happen. We tend to see these parents who are, who are lost, who are, like we said at the beginning, feeling powerless who are just looking for some hope because again to kind of bring us full circle that that powerlessness feeling that helplessness is often a lack of hope it's like we don't know where to turn i've asked the school i've asked the doctor i've done myself i'm a parent i've tried this i've spoken to my mum. i've spoken to my friends i've done this i've been nice i've been hard i've been this and nothing is making a difference and Therefore, they just want their kids to feel better. Mm. And I think the overarching pattern is, is that we see parents in here that just want to make things better. Mm. Very occasionally, uh, what we see is, and I train my, my team in spotting this, is that, and we've kind of alluded to this a couple of times, it doesn't always happen this week, can I just say, but um, where you start to notice that the parent is the problem uh, and you start to see, ah, right, okay, I get it, I can see what's going on. I had a young lady in here. And again, could I just say mum's motivation was absolutely, I am scared shitless that my wee girl is breaking herself. So mm-hmm. there's a, a young girl with a, 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 who had shown signs of an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And uh, mum was just terrified, as you would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, this little girl, seemed to, had, uh, not before I saw her, had lost a shed load of weight at an age when she shouldn't be. I think she was about 11, 12 years old. Um, an absolute shed load of weight. Ended up hospitalized and all sorts of stuff because of this. So obviously, they're terrified. she's terrified. But this young lady, by the time I met her, was already starting to look a bit for healthier weights. So then she'd managed to get her eating back under control. And she sat in here, and I asked her once mum had left the room, I said, do you think you've got a problem? And the wee girl's answer was, no, I don't think I have. And she's like, and I said to her, you just fed up with the fact that you just keep getting taken from one person to another person because mum's going, she's got a problem. But mum, out of her fear, had just kind of stopped listening and stopped noticing. What actually uncovered was there's a potential that this young lady is actually autistic. Um, We've not got confirmation of that, but that could be a thing. Because when I started to study the food thing, it wasn't anything to do with losing weight. It was to do with food rules. Mm. I eat here. I don't eat this here. I eat this yeah. here. As well as, which is a very common ASD thing with food is texture. was mm-hmm. textural things going on in there as well. And, and we did two sessions and I left mum in the second session and, and, and we did this whole session together, which is unusual. But I said to mum a few times, I, I'm like, and I actually said to the wee girl, I was like, just with mum here, I was like, do you think you've got a problem? And she's like, no. And I was like, do you think you've got a problem with food? She's like, no. Like, Are you scared by food? No. But mum was just in this place of terror uh, of my wee girl's going to really hurt herself. So she did exactly the right thing. But sometimes it is that the again, the adults have to go, is it is it my problem or their problem?
1: I can relate. I mean, not so much with the eating, but I can relate to that. And I think sometimes, or this has been my lesson, that I'm parenting through my own childhood wounds sometimes. And it's not about our children. Our children are doing perfectly as they should in their Mm -hmm. development uh, much of the time, uh, speaking about Bonnie. But actually, it's my fears. It's my unresolved kind of um, stuff Ghosts in the walls. And I think they are our mirror. Yeah. You know. Oh, they are.
0: Well, you think how many times when you were growing up? I don't know how many times it happened. but you've turned around and went, "Oh my God, I'm turning into my mother." Uh, and, and you know, we we learn through two things. So we learn through experience. So we go out there and we do whatever it is. And then when our experience runs out, we learn through role models. So we look for the people who seem to have their shit together, and we go like, you know, so we learn through this osmosis, especially when we're young, um, from our. Our primary caregivers, mums, dads, were we're soaking it in. I tell a story quite often of um, when Sheena, Amy was two when Sheena was going through all her anxiety and things. And and Sheena used to have a, a tell about the fact that she was in an anxious moment, sometimes even before she noticed the feeling of anxiety or the consciously aware of the feeling of anxiety. And um, she'd leak. And what I mean by that sounds terrible. Mums are like, oh, yeah, I do that too. Uh, <laughs> see, since I've had two kids, I'm all joking. A, a 49-year-old guy shouldn't be making jokes about that. I'm sorry, mums. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, so that's not what I mean. I mean, physically, uh, like, she, she'd fidget. She'd she'd like pull her fingers, like, really hard. And this was my i my sign of Sheena's going into an anxiety thing. There's something yeah. happening. Um, Amy was two years old. The NLP thing that happened while she was about two or three pretty much took a lot of that away, if not all of it. The, the panic attack, kind of anxiety attack to that level, really ooh, turned right down. Hardly happened ever at all. Fast forward until Amy's about nine years old, and I remember she had a spelling test. And me and Sheena were both in the same room, and she started to cry because she was really nervous about her spelling test. And we watched a wee mirror pulling her fingers and the same way it was like it was weird it was like just this thing of she'd obviously it, it, she was two years old she wouldn't have been consciously aware It parents say to me all the time i try and hide it from them you know when parents come in and sit in the seat they say i've got a flying phobia i, I try and hide it from my kids and then all of a sudden the kid has a flying phobia but they, but they know they just soak it because they're they're emotional especially when they're young they're emotionally open they're just they've there's no filter the nine, 10 years old is when the filter begins. When they can choose, I'm not taking that on. Up until then, you're ultimately hypnotised, <laughs> just running around in this wee trance, you know, like soaking up information.
1: Bonnie knows before I do. I mean, I bad mood, yeah.
0: I mean <laughs> yeah, you'll have your tails. Uh, I mean Dan's probably fairly <laughs> tuned in as well but I mean, I'm sure you are as well though the other way, you know, you'll be it's able to tell
1: energetically, yeah. you know, we do hold them close in our nervous system, we know we're tuned into their needs, like yeah. we kind of know, and I think that's so true it's being the model and not the mirror like what are you modelling to your kids?
0: I love that, I, I see I, this is my, you've heard me talk about my pokey sticks before, which is when I see something that's a bit jabby uh, when I do, again, parental workshops, I'll talk about exactly what you've just talked about, about being this model and how they're soaking it in. And my wee jab often is, so you're teaching your children at the moment about relationships. You're teaching your son and daughter what a relationship should look like. What are you teaching them? But
1: I had this like- with anger yeah so my parenting coach says what are you teaching bonnie about anger and I yeah
0: just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: really good point Ooh. though isn't it and you can Ooh. just sit with that you can sit yeah. with it and think it's not about beating yourself up or anything like that this is like evolution and how we grow together because our children yeah. are fantastic at growing but we need to also honor our own growth and some of that is looking at the the darker parts the wounds like what are we modeling children do what they see not what we say. Can Um, I do a
0: wee pokey stick in there that you've just opened up a perfect especially on a mum's podcast. Uh, Dads are are, are not as uh, although it can happen they're not quite as um, uh, as, they don't tend to go down this route as much as mums do but for mums one of the things I talk about are parents but mums specifically are are more, more often is that I talk about putting yourself first because many, many mums will put themselves second, uh, sometimes even third. So I have a whole thing I do on this. You'll find this on my, uh, I think on my, I think I've got it on my YouTube channel. It's oh, definitely share it on my Facebook. Yeah. Really, yeah. And it's all about when you go out there, um, about where you come in the ranking, basically. So I put the kids first, uh, or a, a but then for many people, they put their kids in their partner, and then it's them and all sorts. But you can see this longer in the video. The point is, is as you just said, though, Annie, is what are you teaching them? If, if you're running about frantic, if you're not putting yourself first, if you're not happy, if, you're, if your kids are dressed in Stone Island while you walk around in Primark and so, so, turn around and go, I'm quite happy with this, I don't mind. And you might be, that's fine, if you're happy with that. But you're teaching your children again that they are first. And if you fast forward 20 years, you're teaching them how to parent. So if your daughter was now a mum living the life that you live, would you be going, well done, dear, fantastic. Well done, honey, you're doing brilliant as a mum. This is what you should do. Make sure you're running about to all those clubs. Make sure you put yourself second. Definitely never see your friends. Never go away for any time yourself. No, don't go and get your hair cut because that money should be spent on the children. Mm-hmm. Don't make yourself feel nice. Don't do any of that. And it's exactly what you just talked about. It's like we, uh, we we are teaching our children in advance. So right now, you're teaching your children about parenting so teach them about the parent that you want them to be by being the parent that you want them to be which is free fulfilled content all of those things and how you do that is by putting yourself first but annie will share the link and you can see that
1: yeah i love that and just i I didn't time this. sorry but just (laughs) okay it's it's been brilliant but just to kind of bring it to an end what can parents start to do then to help themselves and to help their teenagers what are maybe three main resources that you would like to gift them to help them on this this journey
0: okay so I think uh, yeah we've covered we've covered many of them I think already Mm -hmm. I think one is learn how to be a parent there's a lovely phrase you might actually know you're always good with your coach you might actually know who said this um, but I, I, it's not mine. I wish I could claim it. But that um, said what what children don't realise is they're also watching their parents grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this idea that um, we we think I've got a thing in uh, in my my book and my second book about teenagers, um, where I talk about the fact that we have to accept that we're going to mess our children up, and this thing that we can't be perfect. That we ha- we have to learn that. For many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, not the parenthood came as a shock, mm-hmm. um, but the parenthood came from a place where you were living a life, living a life, living a life. You know, maybe you were out every weekend. Oh, I saw my friends, you know, I did all this. And then the pregnancy's great. You know, it's all exciting. You're buying prams and bottles and, oh, look at this. And, oh, look at this cute wee outfit. And then, boom, baby's born and the reality begins. And all of a sudden there's this huge identity shift um, and you have, you're given this wee baby. I still remember that happening with Jodie. You're given this baby and like right, go on with. It. Mm. And there's nowhere else. I don't think in life we we we're not even. Imagine if it's 17 years old or whatever age it was for people listening. Somebody appeared outside your house, gave you a car, mm. and went there. You go. There you go, uh, just got on with it. I'm sure you'll be fine. The motorway's down there. You'll be able to get to work in 20 minutes now. Just go on with it. No, no, we have to do driving lessons. We have to do driving tests, yet we're given a fully-fledged human being uh, and so get on with it ourselves, with, as you said already so beautifully, you know, all our traumas and stuff that we've hung up from our parents. So I think number one is learn how to be a parent and know that it's, in fact, I'm going to make it a number two. I'm going to echo exactly what you've said, which is be vulnerable and know when to ask for help, and be vulnerable in front of your children. Be honest. Uh, yeah, be honest. I, my my dad passed away in 2003. Uh, not long after, actually, I started learning all this. And I remember people saying, are you taking the kids to the funeral? And I'm like, yes. Uh, yes, we are. I want them to be around life. I want them to see that people are allowed to be upset about these things. And it just felt like a most natural. I don't know why I wouldn't, but I hear so many parents Taking children out of these emotionally vulnerable moments because oh, I don't I want to protect them, I don't want them to see it. It's like no. Now that doesn't mean that by the way, if you and your partner are having an absolute blazing row, you should be inviting the children in so they can see vulnerability. Come and see this. Uh, come and see what your father has done and how I'm going to speak to him. I'm not saying it like that. Or whatever again, there's many family makeups. But so I think it uh, be vulnerable would be, be number two. Um, and I think as a number three. Um, just off the top of my head is don't make going for help to a mental health resource whatever that may be your last resort like have it on your list like a dentist or a doctor or whatever I, I say to young people in here all the time especially when they come in about say 11 12 13 that type of age I say you've learned more than you think you have because one of the things you've learned by coming here is that if you have a mental health problem, somebody can sort it out. And I'm like, if you've learned that at 11, 12 or 13, you always remember, you're always welcome back. I'm never gonna go, what are you doing back? Uh, We fixed you before, that's not what it's like. You can't have one bath and be clean forever. So therefore, stuff happens, life happens, and sometimes we need a help. And I always say to them, just remember that we're here. And if you need a help, just shout us. And we'll be able to help you in the same way as the dentist or the doctor would.
1: Can you imagine the changing the pattern? Yeah. You know, modeling that, that it's normal to go and ask for help, that it's normal to honor your self-worth, to honor your mental health, to nurture it, nourish it, as you would your physical, as you would looking after your plants. Yeah, exactly. Isn't it? It's It's growth. It's this mutual evolution. I love that quote about growth because we are growing. And this is how we show our kids their potential.
0: Absolutely. Because, and again, my my children know that me and my wife have both been for therapy at various times. Both me and my wife went actually for therapy very recently. And it was like, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to see, I'm going to see my counsellor. I'm going to see my therapist. I'm going to see this person. It's an open conversation in our house. And therefore, when our kids have hit wobbles, they've said, who do I go and speak to? Rather than what to do I do, and then I would hope that if they choose to become mums themselves, that they will then instil that in their children, who, scarily enough, will be my grandchildren, and that might not be too far away, technically speaking, at twenty three and twenty one. But it's like if we can make them both through twenty three, that's what age Sheena was, and what age Sheena's mum was when she had her first baby. So we're we'll just trying to get them both through twenty three. If <laughs> we can get them both through twenty three, we've broken the generational gap. That that's as a generational Doesn't gap, it? anyway. But I think yeah. It's it's that, oh, but we hide ourselves so much from our kids. And I love what you're saying there about the vulnerability. I think it's just be a human being and show them you're not perfect. And that means sometimes going up and saying, I'm sorry, I shouted at you earlier and I shouldn't have. Now, some other times you're going to go, I'm sorry I shouted at you, but I was right yeah uh, you needed that you needed to hear that so mm-hmm. i'm sorry i shouted at you and you were upset but i you, i needed to do that because you needed to be aware but sometimes if we have like if we try to build a relationship like we would do with anybody sometimes you have to have to be the adult go first i i, I was wrong in what how i did that i didn't do that right or like you had a conversation with bonnie recently about i wasn't well when you were young I wasn't in a great place. And therefore, you know, I think you've missed this and this because that's the repairing. That starts to appear. It's so
1: liberating, but it validates what they know.
0: Yeah, that's it.
1: They think I'm crazy because my mum didn't love. No, actually, Bonnie, you're right. You're not crazy. Yeah. You're a goddamn cheater. (laughs) (laughs) Glennon Doyle. So I think you've covered it. But just to finish up, why do you think parents mask and suffer in silence? And what advice could you give? But what you just said was beautiful. It's about being vulnerable, being honest, asking for help, making it part of the normal.
0: Yeah. Uh, Get away from this idea of being scared of it. You're not scared of toothache. You're not scared of a flu. Uh, you might be confused by it. You might not know how to help them. You know if they've got a something going on. You know medically or whatever. But you go, I know where to go. I know where I'm going to go and get that help. And if a uh, quick Google and I'm sure this is part of Annie's thing as well. You know that just even just using the resources that you have, you know, it's like mm-hmm. there's people around that can help and guide. And I just add one thing into that because I think it's important is to know that not all therapy is the same. Mm-hmm. So if you were to go as a parent and your kid goes to therapist A and comes away going, that was pure rubbish, that doesn't mean that therapist B is going to be rubbish. And sometimes it's, I, I, again, I, I talk to people about when they when they're working with their mental health, is uh, this is maybe uh, an example that will work for a lot of people but it will work for some it's a bit like choosing a car uh, in that um you do want it to have multi-point seat belts uh, and you do want it to be this and you do want it to have this but really when you test drive it and you get a feel for it you're like oh hang on a minute do you really know what the brake horsepower of your car is do you really know what its top speed is do you really care or is it more about how it makes you feel and i think that's the same with a therapist you can go out there and look for a, a gazillion certificates and degrees. Uh, and I would always say be careful about this because there's also a lot of people out there that will take your money and not have that. But just because you have a degree or that person has that thing that says I'm a psychologist or I'm a this therapist doesn't mean they're any good. Yeah. And sometimes it's about a bit of feel. If your kid makes a connection with someone or you make a connection with someone, that for me in therapy can be it's why actually sometimes your best friend can be better therapy than your therapist.
1: can not beat life experience. Either. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and they need tools and they need techniques. They need to know what they're doing. But it's a fuel thing, especially when we're dealing with young people. Which is Yeah, rapport, rapport, rapport. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's that click. We we spend... One of the f- bits of feedback we get most often in here is, They're not not going to, they might not speak to you, they might not speak to you, they might not speak to you, and then they come out going blah. Sometimes they don't speak to us, but that's very, very rare. Normally, actually, what happens is I really enjoyed that. Imagine your your child coming out of therapy, and the first thing comes out of their mouth was, That was really good. I really enjoyed that. Not, (laughs) You have to come back next week. That was really hard. It's like, that was really good. Can I come back again? It's
1: transformational, isn't
0: Absol- it? Absolutely transformative. It's all about relationships.
1: Oh, my goodness. I mean, thank you so much. And I'm going to make sure that all the links to where people can find you and that Facebook video and obviously your website are put in the show notes. Perfect. And I'll just finish by saying, every once in a while, blow your own goddamn mind. Except on your website. <laughs> <Yes>. Thank you <laughs> thank very you. much. Thank you so much. Cheers, Annie.